Hey guys, I'm lead pastor Noel Peepgrass, and I just wanted to welcome you to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a church family to be a part of, or feel called to join a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in our historic building at 218 West Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. Hey, I wanted to start with a question this morning, and, and the question is this. What is God like? What's God like? Is he uh, generous or is he stingy? Is he capable or is God restricted? Does he care about your real needs? Or is he just like high and lofty, up in the clouds, floating around? Can he see you? Like, see you? Can he? Can he see me? Or does he have some other cosmic agenda? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever felt like maybe God's just up there, impersonal, far away, maybe uh, not powerful? Or maybe just like super stingy because we didn't make it on the nice list this year. Maybe you've heard this phrase. Uh, I love this phrase. I think it's important for us. uh, And and it answers this question. The God you see is the Christian you will be. The God you see is the Christian you will be. The story of the feeding of the 5,000 is uh, a story about I think what the disciples thought God was like, God in the flesh, Jesus. And um, I bet a lot of you are familiar with this story, probably. Like, it's, it's actually one of the most uh, famous stories, I think, uh, in the Bible. One of the reasons it's one of the most famous stories in the Bible is because all the gospel writers, so the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's a lot of overlap between uh, the stories that they write, but this is the only miracle story. So of his miracles, this is the only one that's in all four of the gospel accounts. So the book Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all contain their version of, uh, of this story. So um, if you wanted to like cross-reference, it'd be awesome, even this week in your own personal Bible study, go to Mark 6 or Luke 9 or, or John 6. The story is very similar, but they each are telling the story from their own perspective, and so there's different inclusions uh, in each one. But evidently, this is an important story. All four gospel writers included this story. Uh, At the end of this passage that we just read, uh, we learn that this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, it's really interesting that it's known so famously by that title because the miracle is actually much bigger than just 5,000. Did you catch this uh, at the end? It says that the the 5,000 are just what? Just the men add up to 5,000. So before you get offended, um, you know, some have been turned off and accused the Bible of being male-oriented or patriarchal, Uh, but I can assure you the Bible is neither of those things. We've seen Jesus' value for women, Jesus' value for children, Um, but but keep in mind in this day and place, that was just the way they numbered things, right? Their way of numbering was to count the men, but the the moral of the story for us, the thing that I want you to know is that this story is even bigger than 5,000. At least twice, right? 
I mean, if it was Exeter Valley Church ratio, it would be like the feeding of the 15,000, right? There's three times as many total people as there are men. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting that they only counted the men, but I just want to say everybody counts. I just told Noah to count heads in here, you know, and the, the question is always, well, do we count the, how young do we count them? We count them all at Exeter Valley Church. We count them all, and, and I would just want you to know, if you're, if you're a woman or a child, you're counted in this story, too. So it's actually much bigger than the feeding of the 5,000, probably 10 or 15,000 were fed that day, which is pretty radical to get your mind around. I mean, have you ever walked around and drawn a crowd this size? But here was Jesus gathering people because people were so drawn to him. This story, the feeding of the 5,000, it's actually connected to the last story that we, uh, that we talked about last week was a story about how John the Baptist lost his head. And you might be thinking, well, what's the connection between feeding 5,000 and a story about a man who got his head cut off for standing up for Jesus and his good law? <clears throat> well, it starts by telling us how Jesus responded to the death of John. And so I want to I start with that. The first thing that we learn in this passage is how to grieve like Jesus grieves. I think that's really important for us. Uh, who, was, who was Jesus to John? They were cousins, right? They were cousins. And John was the one who was preparing the way in the wilderness for the coming of Jesus. So Jesus and John, tightly linked in the story of the Bible, in, in the New Testament story. And so it says in verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, when he heard what had happened to John, when he heard about the evil thing that had happened to John, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. If Jesus had been in the army or the military, he would have been in the navy for sure. He seems to always have been on a boat. But Jesus withdrew to a private place, it says. So here's Jesus. He's just lost his cousin. He's just lost his pastor, the man who baptized him, the prophetic voice in the wilderness that prepared the way for him. And here we see a great example of the way Jesus embraced grief. Sometimes, I don't know if you can relate to this, but sometimes, in particular in Christian circles, because of the hope that we hold in the resurrection, in the hope that we hold uh, in heaven and eternity with God, we can sometimes minimize the grief of death, can we? Can we not? I mean, like, like for example, have you ever heard somebody said something like this, like, oh, uh, I'll be okay, he's in a better place now. Or, or maybe like, ah, like, no, John lived a great life. You know, we try to put this joy on ourselves, don't we? But Jesus, I think it's really important for us to notice. Just pay attention to Jesus. Jesus took time to grieve John's death. He grieved the loss of his cousin here. And I think that we should feel free to grieve our losses. You know, so Jesus, he's trying to get away from the crowds. And, and we know how much he loved people. So Jesus loved people. More than any of us loved people, Jesus loved people, but he also needed to get away. And, and I just think there's a temptation for us. I mean, imagine Jesus. How important was Jesus? Man, sometimes I can think that what I'm up to is super important. Like the world won't go on without me. If I don't show up, this won't happen. Jesus was certainly uh, of the ilk to feel that way about himself, right? And yet Jesus still finds a way to get away from the crowds, and I think we too, you know, we need to fight this temptation to be the answer to everything. If Jesus could get away, maybe we need to get away too. You know, we're not, we're not, uh, we're, I'm sorry, we're, we're not human doings, we're human beings, aren't we? 
And even Jesus knew that he had to be before he could do. So I think that's an important part of this story is that here we find Jesus who's gotten away. He's grieving the loss of his cousin, his good friend, his pastor, his prophet. He knew that he had to be with God before he could do what God had asked him to do. He also prioritized his own emotional health. Man, if Jesus took care of himself and his feelings, we too should give ourselves permission to take care of our feelings and our emotions. But, you know, staying away from the crowds, it's, it's easier said than done when you're God in the flesh, when you're the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. It's kind of hard to continue to stay away from the crowds. It says in 13, uh, the second part, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. The second thing that we see in this story is that Jesus had compassion. <clears throat> I wonder if it's possible or if it's true that his compassion was linked to his grieving. He like felt sorry for himself and his grieving, and therefore he was able to feel sorry for it, to have compassion for the crowds. I think that's powerful. Sometimes we block our own feelings. And when we block our own feelings and our own way of relating to the world, I think it can be hard to see and to sit with other people. And so Jesus has compassion he could have kept his distance. He could have stayed hidden. He could have stayed on his boat away from everybody else. He could have kept himself in solitude. But instead, he had compassion. And so because of his compassion, what does he do? He heals the sick. And this is what Jesus so often did in the Gospels. I love it, too. It says that he healed their sick. It's as if nobody is left without the healing of Jesus. You know, uh, just a side note here in this story as we talk about the compassion of Jesus, but we learned two weeks ago about leaning in. Remember that? The parable of the soils. We, we talked about the importance of leaning in. In order to hear God's still, small voice, we've got to lean in and make sure that we're really listening. And here in this story, what we're seeing here is these crowds following Jesus. I mean, just imagine they're on foot, walking around a lake, trying to follow Jesus. They were, uh, they were in pursuit of Jesus. They weren't content to let him out of their sight. They were of those kinds of people that follow Jesus, that pursue him, that make it their aim to be in his presence. And, and here's the connection. The people that followed him, the crowds that followed him, what did they get to experience but an enormous miracle? Those that follow Jesus are the ones that get to see his miracles. We want to be the kind of people that follow Jesus like they did. The third point in this story uh, starts in verse 15, and it's that Jesus rubs off. Jesus' ways rub off on his disciples. It says in verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So the first picture we see of the disciples in this passage, it starts out really hopeful. It starts out really positive. Jesus had compassion. They were with Jesus. And oh, look, what do they notice? They notice the need of the people that are around them. See, when we're with Jesus, Jesus rubs off on us. Jesus rubs off. So the first picture we see is these disciples... Noticing that the people are going to get hungry. It's like they've been watching the ways of their Messiah, 
And now they're, they're noticing the needs of those around them. When we're with Jesus and we watch Jesus and we see Jesus and the way that he is, he rubs off on us. This is why it's so important to be with Jesus so that we can see the ways of Jesus. And I think that that's what's happening for the disciples here. Look, when you open your Bible, when you spend time in prayer, you're not just performing a religious rite. You're spending time in the presence of the Messiah. And he rubs off on us when we spend time with him. One of our great values, I would love to be a church, a body of people who spend time with Jesus, who come into his presence, who find ways to get to him so that he could rub off on us. Again, we want to be be a people led by our being with him. Yes, there's lots to do, but let's not start with the doing, let's start with the being. And I think that's what we see here with the disciples. See, when you're with Jesus, he starts to rub off on you. But quickly, the disciples get a little off track, and and they start telling Jesus what to do. (laughs) Bad idea, telling Jesus what to do. Uh, They say, send the crowds away so they can go get some food, telling Jesus how to handle the situation. Jesus, they're hungry, that's good. They notice the people's need. And then they quickly come up with their own solution for the problem that they're experiencing. See, it's a good thing when we notice what Jesus notices, but it's probably a bad thing when we tell him how to handle the problem. Sometimes, uh, like the disciples in this case, we've been close enough to Jesus to see what he sees. But upon seeing, it's so tempting to resort to our own human ways of fixing the problem. I find myself so tempted to do that over and over again, you know, to see a problem, see something that's not right. And instead of going to Jesus for the solution, trying to come up with the solution on my own, right? That's what the disciples did. They got it partly right. They kind of got it right. But they didn't have the faith to uh, reach out to him first, primarily. And so we see, I think, one of the main teachings in this passage is the, the way that the disciples had a mixed response to Jesus. You know, there were ways in which he was rubbing off on them. There were ways in which they placed their faith in him. But there were still ways in which they did not trust him to be the end-all, be-all. And we see this in the story. So we, we know that Nazareth rejected Jesus because he was too human, right? He, it was his hometown. They had seen him, you know, poop and pee and, and hit off a tee, whatever it was. You know, we know that, that Herod, the ruler, rejected Jesus because ah, Jesus' sexual ethic was a little bit too strict for Herod, and he wanted to give in to his own pleasures. And here we see this response that's kind of mixed. It's a mixed reception, from these disciples. So the next thing we see in the story is that uh, Jesus gives and we give. So Jesus rubs off, we learn his ways, but we learn that Jesus is our source. It says in verse 16, Jesus replied to them. As they noticed the need, Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. He probably didn't say it quite like that. I'm, saying, I'm adding that emphasis because I want you to hear that part. You give them something to eat. So Jesus, he, he quickly corrects the part that the disciples are getting wrong. Again, he's enjoying the presence of the crowds. He's like, don't send them away. They don't need to go away. These people have come to be with me. Jesus enjoys the presence of the crowd. He enjoys our presence. And so he keeps them close. He's attuned to their needs, and it's in the same compassion that he healed them with that he wants to keep them close. But notice his instructions, 
Those words that I put emphasis on, you give them something to eat. See, his disciples saw a need, and their first response was to send the people elsewhere to get the the need met. They saw the need correctly, but they sent the people elsewhere. They wanted to send the people elsewhere to get the need met. Jesus sees the need, and his response is to meet the need. This is the way of Jesus, the one who sees our needs and meets our needs. And I love how he, he, he does not, sometimes we are prone to over-spiritualize every situation, right? Like, for example, you know, Jesus could have said, oh, don't worry, guys, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? Like, he could have said, oh, they don't need food, they need me. He could have said, like he said in the Beatitudes, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. He could have over-spiritualized it. And here we learn that Jesus responds to all human need. He responds to our spiritual need, but our physical needs are important to him as well. We can lose this, we can lose sight of this in a wealthy Western context, right? Where even even the one of us that has the least in this room has a ton by the world's standards. Jesus comes to meet not just spiritual needs, but physical needs. And, And look, he doesn't just like care for our needs, He doesn't just have compassion, like an emotional, caring response. He does something. He does something about our needs. He did something about the needs of these people who've come to follow him. And I think that in so doing, he motivates us. There's a motivation for the church in this story. We as his church, we're to take on the ministry model of Jesus. There's a a lesson for us in this. We don't want to just care about the people around us who have great need. We want to do something about it. This is, this is like one of the reasons that we're trying, just this project generosity. Like, let's just give our money away. Project generosity, none of it's going to pay me to make our building cooler, to have our kids get newer, nicer stuff. We're just giving it away. We're giving it away to people who have need. Is it going to do much? I don't know. It feels like just like a little bit in a world full of real physical need. But we got to do something. This is what the church does. The church doesn't just care for people emotionally. The church does something. Why do we do that? Because Jesus did that. He doesn't just care for them. He does something about it. So carrying on here, I also notice that Jesus' next step is not just to take over and make the magic happen. I've said this once. I've said it a million times. Jesus does not need us. God does not need us to accomplish his purposes here on earth. He chooses to use us. We, I mean, again, it's like, seriously, God, it's got to be some sort of mistake. Like, you, you really wanted to partner with, uh, with me? With us, like, frail, flawed humans? But Jesus chooses to use his disciples. Notice his words. He says, you give them something to eat. Like there's something for them to do in this story. He could have just snap, poof, food appears. But instead he uses them. You give, he says. And I just wanted to ask this morning, who is he directing you to give to? 
Is there anyone that comes to mind? I believe if right now, if someone comes to your mind, if something comes to your mind, perhaps the Spirit is directing you, saying, you give. I know you care. You give something to them. The call of a disciple is to do the things Jesus does. Our call, our invitation, is to participate. We're not spectators with Jesus. We don't just come to watch. We get to do. We get to participate. We don't just spectate. So then we see the part of the story that we all love so much. Because Jesus turns a little, five loaves, two fish, into a lot. Verse 17, the disciples said to him, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. And there's 15,000 people here, Jesus. And Jesus says, what does he say? Bring the bread and the fish to me. One thing we have to notice here, I mean, we've, we put a lot of emphasis, Matthew, I think, puts a lot of emphasis on the, necess- the necessity of faith, right? Your faith has healed you. Those that come to Jesus in faith receive healing, see the miraculous. But here we see that even though the disciples doubted what Jesus could do, he still chooses to do the miraculous. Why? Because he wants partners. Because he, he knows that us partnering with him is for our good, but Jesus, don't, don't be mistaken here. Jesus is not reliant on our faith. Unless we think that we have to, you know, conjure up faith so that he can do what needs to be done. Jesus is powerful. His power is not up to our faith. God will do what he pleases. Trust me. We have to understand, you guys, there's this divine tension. A divine like middle. A pulling on each side between God's power to do whatever he pleases in the world. Like, shake your head if you believe that God is able to do whatever he wills to do. And the responsibility, the choice, the ability to participate that he's called us to. He can do whatever he pleases. And he often chooses to partner with faith. And he often even partners with little faith, as we see in this story. The disciples, you guys, they see their situation from a lens of of scarcity. There's not enough here. There's only two fish and five loaves. You know, my my whole life, I've thought, is it five fish and two loaves? Or I had to write it down. It's two fish and five loaves. Anyways, that was a side note. They see scarcity. There's not enough. That's what the disciples see. Have you ever felt like, oh my gosh, overwhelmed? There's too much need here. There's not enough to supply the need. We, we tend to see scarcity. And Jesus, he doesn't see the scarcity. He, he sees the situation supernaturally. He knows that his power is sufficient. See, with Jesus, not enough becomes enough. With Jesus, the natural becomes supernatural. This is Jesus' math. Okay, this isn't like high school math. They're probably not teaching this at Exeter High. But Jesus' math from your local PE teacher is this. You take whatever you have and you add Jesus and you always have what you need. Whatever you have plus Jesus equals enough. If you have anything, if you have zero plus Jesus, you have enough. That's one of the main teachings of this story. And and I was thinking about this situation right here. And sometimes I don't say enough, like, you guys are, like, you're not just spectators. We're not just spectators. 
God has put a vision on our hearts to see his spirit flood our streets, to make a difference in our community, to actually meet the physical needs. Like, I hope that there is revival that comes to Exeter, and and I would love to see God use this group of people to make it happen. But I also believe that God cares about the physical needs of our town, the real tangible needs of our town. And I believe that when his spirit comes and floods our streets, that we'll start to see things change. We'll start to see his redemptive ways come to all walks of life. Sometimes as, as a church planner, it can feel like there's not enough. I can't figure out how to get the mic to work. We don't have enough space. Do we have enough people? Are there enough people to lead worship? Is someone going to come make the coffee? It can feel a lot of times like there's not enough. I just wanted to remind myself, I wanted to remind you to be a participant. You give them something, Jesus says. I just wonder, like, what is it that he's asking you to give? When I was in college, I had a baseball coach that... um, It's so odd. I remember one thing that he taught me, and we had a Bible study one day. He taught the Bible study one and only time, and he he taught about this story here. And I remember him emphasizing the fact that if we look at John's account, there's a little boy who's brought his lunch. I think it's John chapter 6. We see there's a little boy that brought his lunch. Here's what I'm saying. You guys, sometimes all you need to do is show up with your lunch. Be like that little boy who brings his five loaves and his two fish. Jesus plus our little lunch, one boy's little lunch, is enough to do the supernatural. And some of you, you're looking around at each other. Maybe you're thinking and, and you're like, uh, like, oh, not me. I'm just here for the community. I'm just trying to get plugged in. I don't know enough about God to ever contribute in any meaningful way. And this morning, I just wanted to invite you into the larger story. We, we call ourselves a family on mission with God. The God who, when added to our scarcity, is sufficient to meet all of our needs. It says in verse 19, he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Now imagine, imagine this. Imagine what's happening physically here. Because this looks a lot like a pastor gathering his body to receive the body and the blood of Jesus. This looks a lot like, remember, there's a story in the Old Testament of where the Israelites were traveling with Moses. Moses had saved them from Egyptian slavery, right? They're traveling, they're out in the desert, and they're like, Jesus, or they're like, Moses, I'm sorry. Moses, there's not enough food out here to feed us. What happens in that story? Manna comes, right? God sends manna. This story ought to remind us, because Jesus is a greater Moses. He's like the Old Testament Savior the people held on to, Moses But he brings a salvation that's more ultimate than the salvation that Moses brought. And so it says in verse 19, And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples. I love this part about the story. Once again, the food didn't just magically appear in people's hands or in their bellies. What does he do? He breaks the loaves. He separates the fish, and he gives it to his disciples. And again, he includes the disciples in this story. It says the disciples gave the loaves and the fish to the people. And then what happens? All the people ate, and they were satisfied. We live with a scarcity mindset. But God has come to satisfy our deepest longings, all our physical needs. 
The disciples, it says, picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Scarcity was where we started. And now we've got plenty. This is the way that it is with God, you guys. Scarcity turns to plenty when we add God to the equation. So what's the moral of the story? Why, why did the gospel authors find this one story to be so important that they included it in all four retellings of Jesus' life and ministry? Well, I think the author Matthew here in this case, he wants us to see that God uses humans to reach those he loves. God loves the people in Exeter so much that he wants to use you and you and you and you to see their needs met. God, motivated by compassion. Think about the thing that's most heavy on your heart right now. And maybe it's not a physical need. It might be emotional. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's a a heart for one of your children. Maybe it's a medical situation. Think about that thing that's on your heart that's most prevalent right now. God cares about that. He cares about that. And imagine now, multiply that out to a whole community of people who have real needs. And God cares about each of those needs. He cares about each one of those needs. And he's partnered with us to see those needs met. This is what this is all about. Not that we would just receive, but that we would give, that we would participate in the story of God. And I think Matthew wants us to see this tension between God's power and our role. Think about this, you guys. And we're, this is the shepherd's candle this morning, which represents joy. Who did the angels come to to proclaim the birth of Jesus? Not the high and mighty, not the capable, not the rich, the luxurious. The angels came to shepherds, who I'm told were certainly poor. I mean, imagine you're your immigrant workers. This is who the angels came with a message of Jesus' birth. He tells them, go tell it on the mountain, right? That's why we sing that song, to remember what these shepherds were told. The greatest story ever told, you guys, was told to an outcast group of farm workers in a random field on a dark and starry night. That's the truth. That's the promise of the story of Christmas. Don't count yourself out. I'm telling you, God wants to partner with you. And you're like, man, I've only got two fish and five loaves. And that could mean a host of different things. He knows your story. He knows what you're bringing to the table. And he's chosen to partner with you and with me. Jesus plus our not enough is always enough. And I just, I I think that, you know, as we follow Jesus together, you guys, the Savior is just born in a lowly manger. We got to, we should, I think we will. We'll we'll begin to see what he sees. When we follow Jesus, we see what he sees. We see the hurting. We see the hunger. And we begin to act like his disciples did on this day. And we start to ask questions like, how can we meet this need? And of those uh, who have seen Jesus rightly, Instead of sending them away, we go to him and we say, Jesus, this need that you care about, because that's true. Jesus cared. He had compassion on the crowds. He cared about their needs. And this compassion was the fuel. It was the source of his healing. And when we come to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the answer to all of our need, when we come to him, the one who takes our little and turns it into a lot, 
this is when the miraculous happens. That's when the adventure begins. Who wants to be on this adventure? In your heart right now, would you want to be there on the day that Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children? Don't you want to see the miracles of God take place in our town? I mean, forget our town. Don't you want to see them happen in your family? Don't you want to see them happen in your family? Do you want to see the hungry fed? Do you want to see his kingdom come? Jesus is inviting us into his story. Let's go on an adventure with Jesus. Let's follow him like the crowds followed him so that we can see the miracle that's ahead. Join me in prayer.